Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Do pray for Pastor. He's coming back from Kentucky right now. And um, his mom is uh, in the hospital recovering from surgery. Miss Beth is staying down there uh, with her until Friday. Um, the prayer request for um, for Pastor's mom is that she'd start eating. If she doesn't, if she doesn't start eating, she's probably not going to make it. Um, that's words from Pastor just a few minutes ago. So, uh, so just keep her in prayer. And uh, and uh, I'm not sure he may he may be here after a little bit or not. I'm not 100% sure. Depends on how traffic is. Uh, down by Cincinnati. All right, but uh, just for tonight, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, just a real practical, easy Bible study here tonight. Obviously, chapter number 5 uh, coming in uh, right after the verses that we love to, we love to quote and comfort ourselves with in chapter 4. Uh, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together uh, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, I want to get the doctrinal application of uh, chapter number 5 here, the beginning part, and I really want to get into the practical application of it here, uh, starting around verse number 12. But in the first few verses here, it says, But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church tonight. Father, I ask that you'd help us as we open up the Word of God tonight. I pray you give us understanding and clarity. Father, give us something to chew on, Lord, for the rest of the week. Get us back here on Sunday to hear from you again, Lord. But I pray you'd bless this time, this hour now. I pray to wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanse my mind and my thoughts. And Father, I pray that you'd feed the folks that have come out here tonight undoubtedly to hear from you. So, Lord, we love you now. Pray you to break the bread of life for us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here it says in verse number 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. Now, you're not, you, you folks in here are not uh, any kind of uh, strangers to you know, the talk of, of most folks out there right now, and that's you know, wars and rumors of wars and and, you know, we see, we see that, uh, you know, the end is drawing nigh because of the, the social, the economical, and the, uh, the, the, the natural disasters and all those kinds of things, right? Uh, and so a lot of times when folks read this passage in chapter number 5, they really, they really end up getting a little bit confused here because it looks like um, uh, Paul is kind of telling us that, you know, that the, this, this day of the Lord, because we know that the day of the Lord is the second advent. This, the day of the Lord is the, is the uh, tribulation period, the second advent uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, when you use that term day of the Lord, you know what it's in reference to. And then it says, so come as a thief in the night. Now, we also know that First Thessalonians is Pauline doctrine. It's written to me and you. Okay, so as far as rightly dividing our Bibles, we know where we're at, you know, we're not in Hebrews and we're not in the book of James where we're transitioning from the church age into the tribulation. And that's why some of those, uh, those terms that are used in the book of Hebrews and the book of James um, are not things that we doctrinally apply to ourselves as far as means of our salvation. Okay, so when James chapter 2 tells us that faith without works is dead, we know that that's not to us. That is to a Jew in the tribulation that has to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and keep the law in order to be saved. So uh, there's somewhat confusion here when we, when we see in a Pauline uh, portion of Scripture that we know is, is doctrinally pointed at us. We see the, the, uh, we see the rapture uh, there at the end of chapter number 4. And then he starts talking about the day of the Lord here in chapter number 5. And he says... Uh, for they say peace and safety, 
and sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Right? And he's talking about the day of the Lord. Well, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Now, everybody in here, everybody in here understands, uh, you know, and, and you've heard it in songs that have been sung at church. And, and uh, you know, people, you know, mistakenly, they use that term, a thief in the night, interchangeably with the rapture. Well, the rapture, he doesn't come as a thief in the night. <laughs> he doesn't. And so, but what it looks like here uh, at first glance and, and the way a lot of people, you know, kind of dissect this passage is they say, well, see, there you go. Uh, we're going to, we, we need to, we need to be alert and we need to be watching because we don't want that day to overtake us. Well, what day is going to overtake us as a thief in the night? He told you in verse number two that it's the day of the Lord. Well, we know that the day of the Lord is the second advent of Jesus Christ the tribulation. So there you go. The church has to watch out for the tribulation. See how that thing goes? Now, you got to be careful. Now, I know I'm not preaching right now. I'm trying to teach a little bit, but um, this, is, this is extremely important. Um, uh, let's start out. Let's go to Ephesians chapter number 5 here. Ephesians chapter 5, keep your hand here. Because in verse number 5, it says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Okay, Ephesians chapter number 5. Again, the rules for understanding Scripture is, is, is uh, Scripture with Scripture. Line upon line, precept upon precept. So if you go to 1 Thessalonians and you go, hmm, that, does, I, that seems a little bit confusing. I wonder what that means. Well, you better maybe do a little bit of, you know, digging, a little bit of study here. It says, he tells you here, in, back in our text in, in 1 Thessalonians, he tells you in, in verse number 4, uh, but ye brethren are not in darkness. Now that's not talking about an understanding of the second advent. That's where you get messed up. Right? He says, but ye brethren are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Now if you try to interpret that saying that you not being in darkness is just merely you knowing that the second advent is coming. Right? Right? That's not what he's talking about. Okay, so back in Ephesians chapter number 5, Ephesians 5 verse 8. For ye were sometimes in darkness. You see that? Now that's talking about when, that, that's not talking about an understanding of the second advent, right? That's talking about you before you were saved. You see that? It says you were sometimes in darkness, but now... Are ye light in the Lord? Walk as children of the light. Okay, so if we, if we understand that, we have an understanding that my, 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 my uh, position or my title, as far as what before I was saved, is that I'm in darkness. Okay, that's, that's where I'm at when I'm lost. Now, when I get saved, I'm now no more darkness I am light in the Lord. I know that when I got saved, the Bible says that I'm baptized uh, by the, the Spirit of God and I'm baptized into Christ. That's why it says that. He says, but you are light in the Lord. That's, talk, that's talking about you being placed in the body of Jesus Christ upon salvation. So, if we go back to 1 Thessalonians and it says that, uh, ye are children of the light, in verse 5. And it says in verse 4, But ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. We know that that's not just an understanding of the second advent. That is a reference to my salvation. I'm not in darkness, meaning I'm not lost. Okay? And so, ye are the children of the light, verse 5, and the children of the day... Um, it says, we are not of the night nor of darkness. That's being unsaved. So that kind of turns this thing on its head. So it's not just that uh, there's a group of people out there. Some are ignorant or willfully ignorant of the fact that the Lord is coming back. Right? Uh, and that there's, there's some that are ignorant of it and then there's some that know about it. And so now, that's, now you should live a certain way. Why? Because well, the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night. Well, it's not about a knowledge of that. It's about your position in Jesus Christ. So there's those that are lost. 
right? And what happens at the rapture when they get, when, if you're lost, what happens? You stay here and you go into the tribulation, the day of the Lord. If you're saved, you're not a child of darkness. You are a child of the light in the Lord, right? And you're out of here before that day comes. You see that? Now, I like this because uh, especially, I, I mean, and everything, gets, everything gets ramped up and jacked up with every news headline that gets, that gets printed. And everybody has a new spin on things. Everybody's got a new stupid thumbnail title for their YouTube video. And, you know, the coming this and the coming that. And, the, and the, the book of Revelation is now and all this different garbage. And they're just trying to get you to click on their stinking videos. And it drives me, it drives me up the wall. And you know what? Some of these are Bible-believing guys, and they know better. But they do it so that they get the clicks. And so it compensates for the fact that they got 30 people in their church. Because they got a bunch of clicks. As if, they're, as if they're pastoring a thousand. Well, they're not. So they're doing the clickbait. You're no different than a stinking uh, social media guy. You're just, you're just trying to make a name for yourself. You're just trying to get... You're, you're feeding off of ignorant Christians' anxiety. That's what you're doing. You see that? You've got to be careful about that. We're not, we're, a, church, a church isn't, uh, isn't a, uh, a marketing scheme. Where they, you know, they leave you on a cliffhanger so that you come back for more. No, we feed you the meal in its entirety and say, man, go digest it. That's church. The other thing is just garbage. And so everybody's going to Matthew 24, Matthew 24, Matthew 24. And, oh, look what's going on. And there's a war. If I had a stinking dollar for every time I've heard a Bible-believing stinking preacher in the last two years say, well, it's going to be wars and rumors of wars, no pestilence and stuff. The heck are you even talking like that for? You got no business talking like You're supposed to know your Bible. You're supposed to be feeding people the truth. Oh, you're trying to scare people into doing right. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. Listen, you don't need to scare people into doing right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? So if you can just get them to fear God, you don't have to use the social economic events of the day to get their flesh all jacked up to try to get them to do what you want them to do. That's weak leadership. And that's a weak preacher. All right? So uh, look in uh, verse number 1. It says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. I've heard a bunch of people say that that verse there means that we know uh, that we know the times and the seasons of the rapture, and, uh, and, and, and it says we're not ignorant of them. I've had preachers say, well, how do you say we're not ignorant of them? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. So, it's got, so the, the date of the rapture is revealed in the Bible. Well, I believe that I'm sure the rapture is somewhere, and we just can't even see it. And the Lord just keeps us blinded to it, because if anybody in here ever figured out when it was, you just live wrong until it actually happened. Amen. That's right. <laughs> you were like, oh, uh, the rapture's happening on Thursday? Well, okay, well, I'll just get right, you know, Wednesday night and we'll be all right. You know, that's, that's how we would do it. Uh, there's this thing called the uh, imminent return uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is when Paul was preaching, it was, hey, he's coming. Right? And when Martin Luther's preaching, it's, he's coming. And when the early church is preaching, it's, he's coming. And when the church 100 years ago and 50 years ago, what are they preaching? He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. You don't know when. It's imminent. It can happen at any moment. I don't need wars and rumors of wars and the times and the seasons and all that garbage. Now, I understand. Uh, we hope it happens in the spring. And okay, well, what if, what, if, uh, what if it doesn't happen in the spring? Does that mean he can't come back? Well, that's stupid. You know that he was probably born in September. What if it's, what if it's in the fall? You know what the truth is? You don't have a cotton clue when he's coming back. You have, you have the Song of Solomon where he talks about, you know, the springtime and the, blo the, the blooming, and, and, and he has a, a rapture reference in there. I'll give you that. And it looks like that very well could be the case. But the truth of the matter is, is you don't think he can come in December? He can come anytime he wants. Okay? You say, why is that so important? Matthew 24. Keep your hand here, Matthew 24. 
It's funny that you have to be super smart to ignore some of the simple things that are in the Bible. And what I, and I, and I say this because I've watched it now with some guys that I graduated school with, some of the most intellectual people that I knew, some of the smartest people that I knew, some of the guys that just knew the Bible like the back of their hand, read the Bible all the time, I mean, bookworms, all this different stuff, they're not even in church today. But man, they knew everything. Man, there's a guy right now, it eats me alive. He's a pastor, doing well, and family, and was a pastor, and, and comes back here, and now is, is touch and go in church. One of the smartest, most spiritual guys I ever knew in Pensacola. What's he doing? Whatever he's thinking wants, that's what he's doing. You mean, he, used to, he used to make fun of me because he used to make fun of me all the places I didn't know. you like, you know where Josiah is in the Bible? And I didn't know where Josiah was in the Bible. And he'd make fun of me. You know, he'd see, he'd see, flaws, he'd see flaws in my life and stuff like that. And, and I counted him as a good friend because I don't know about... See, I like it when people point out stuff to me. I know some of, some of us don't. I like it when somebody come up to me and say, hey, you know, this, I, I, I let the Holy Spirit tell me if I need to take heed to that advice or not. But I like it when somebody's straight with me. And this guy was straight with me. Now, he's probably being a jerk to some extent, but I mean, I'm from New York, so I took it just fine. But he'd come to me and, he, and he's like, you're vile, you're wretched. You're the, I mean, he'd call me everything but human. And he'd start quoting verses. And I mean, I, I want to punch that guy in the face so many stinking times. And I'd go back to my apartment. I'd go back to my trailer or something like that. And I'd open up the Bible and I'd say, God, show me where I can get that sucker. Show me, where I, show me where that sucker's wrong. I'm going to go throw the Bible. In this, and that guy was right every single time, man. And you know what I had to do? I had to change because he was right. And where did his intellect get him? He started reading a bunch of psychology books. And he started reading a bunch of philosophy books. Because all the other stuff he'd already read. Pastor of church, King James, Bible even Baptist church. And now, church isn't important. Not even in church anymore. It's funny how the smarter you are, sometimes it's a detriment to you. Because you overcomplicate everything. But see, that's the highest, that's the highest thing. You, gotta, you have to watch out for that. Because it's not, there's, uh, in the world today, there's this drive to be intellectual. And it doesn't mesh well with Christianity. It doesn't matter how smart you are. That's why he says not many wise men are called. Right? Because he chose the foolish things and the feeble things and the weak things and the base things. Why? To confound the wise. When they, when they look at Peter and John, they say they perceive that they were unlearned men. But they said, man, them suckers been with Jesus. <laughs> you see that? So Matthew, again, how you miss this is beyond me, but it's right here. Matthew 24, Matthew 24, the disciples come to the Lord on the Mount of Olives, right? <clears throat> and he says, uh, let's see here, verse 3. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and disciples came unto him uh, privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And you know what the Lord does? He starts to expound. Right? He starts to expound. Go to Matthew 16. Verse 1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Right? And he answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red in the morning, if it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? Why is he, why is he so harsh on the Pharisees? Why does, he expound, uh, why does he expound the question that the disciples asked him on the Mount of Olives? You want to know why? Because it was for them to know. It was for them to be concerned about. It was a legitimate question for them. Because if you recall, back in Matthew chapter 24... 
depending on how the Jews accepted their Messiah, was going to dictate whether or not that church age kicked off the way it was. Because we know that in, in uh, Acts chapter 7, at the stoning of Stephen, here's the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father as if He's ready to return and waiting for the hearts of those Jewish people to turn to Jesus Christ. And if that would have happened, you'd have had a rapture, you'd have had a second advent right in that time frame. You see that? So the fact that He, the fact that he elaborates... On the question in Matthew 24, but then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, But of the times and seasons, he says, Ye have no need that I write unto you. Why? Because it's of no concern to you. It doesn't matter. Why? Because what are you worried about the end of the world and the day of the Lord for? You're not going to be there for it. It's not that we have to, it's not that it's our responsibility as folks in the church to figure out when the rapture is. He says, Of the times and seasons, You don't even need me to write to you about it. Why? Because it's of no concern to you. Was it a concern to those Jewish men that he was talking to in the Mount of Olives? Yes, it was. Because it was not yet passed. They weren't in the church age yet. You see how that thing flows like that? And so, if there was ever ever a uh, proof text for the fact that uh, pre-tribulation rapture is is 100% doctrinal, it's, it's in this passage right here. Because signs of the times, and that's what he says, he says of the, uh, of the times and seasons. These, these Pharisees can go out to the sky and look up at the sky and, you know, they can tell if it's going to rain or what it's going to do. And they're out in the, in the fields and stuff and they're planting vineyards and they're doing all this different thing for their crops and everything else. He says, you stinking hypocrites, you can discern the, 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 the skies and you can discern all this stuff, but uh, you can't discern the signs of the times. Well, obviously it was for them to know. But as far as you're concerned, he says, don't even worry about it. (laughs) It has nothing to do with you. So he gives us that light on the fact that uh, the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation takes place, before the day of the Lord takes place. And so he gives us some admonitions here, or he gives us some some edifying words. Uh, Verse 7, for they that sleep in the night... Uh, For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and of the helmet, uh, the hope of salvation. That's quoting Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, if you want to write it down for a cross-reference. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. You see that? Why does he throw that verse in there? It's confirming what I just showed you in the first uh, six verses. He reiterates the fact in verse number 9 when he says, For God hath not appointed you or appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. We know that the day of the Lord, especially in the major prophets, he speaks of that day as the, the fierceness of the wrath of God being put into the cup of God's judgment and indignation and is poured out on his people. And he says that they will drink the dredges of it. The dredges of the wrath of God. And the Bible just told you, you don't even have to, why are you worrying about discerning times and seasons and all this different stuff? He says, it's no need that I write to you about that. Why? Because you're not in darkness. You're saved. You're of the light. You're of the day. Okay? And you're not appointed under wrath. I'm not going to be around when the wrath comes out. I'm going to be, on, I'm going to be behind him when the wrath gets poured out. Right? So he says... Uh, who died for us, verse 10, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. Now, if you take verse 11 and you coincide that with the last verse of chapter 4, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Verse 16 and 17 are one of the two greatest verses on the rapture that you have in your Bible. Isn't it funny how the Lord just, just... just sews those things, those truths together seamlessly. But you can see how if you, if, you don't, if you don't level that thing out with the rest of your Bible, you can get a little rocky through there. You can get a little confused through there. You make it seem like, man, can the day of the Lord overtake me as a thief? Right? So you have to understand that when the Bible, when the Bible uses a word, that's why, he's so, that's why 
some people think Dr. Ruckman, he just, you know, he just strains at gnats and tries to swallow camels, you know, and he says, well, you're attacking them because they took out this word. It really doesn't change the... What are you talking about? That word darkness there, if you mess with that word darkness, and then you mess with the word darkness in Ephesians chapter 5, you don't get the cross-reference. And if you don't have the cross-reference, you don't know what he's talking about. Then you'd be perfectly okay to, to say, oh, well, that's, the darkness is just, him, is, is just uh, being ignorant of the second coming. Well, no, it's not. It's talking about you being lost. So that's why the book says, don't mess with one jot or tittle out of the book. And so if you're around somebody that takes the book lightly, and we're going to get into this again here in just a second uh, when we get into some of this practical stuff I want to get into real quick. You know what you find out is that book, every single word in that book is perfect and it's where it's supposed to be. And if you mess with it, you will mess up some doctrinal truth. You don't even know where it, you're messing it up at. Because you're not smart enough to know how the Lord has sewn all these things together seamlessly through this book. And so we, that's why we reverence the book the way we do. That's why we believe it. That's why we don't try to take what we believe and then put the Bible to match what we believe. We change what we believe to match what the Bible doesn't teach, but rather what the Bible says. That's the standard. That's the, that's the, that is the, that's the proper stance when it comes to the book. And I know you guys know that, and maybe I'm just preaching to the choir tonight, but it's okay. Um, let's look with me, if you will, in verse number 12. In light of this truth, okay, so in light of what Paul just got done expounding, the fact that, you know, the thief, uh, the, that the day of the Lord is coming, and the fact that the tribulation is coming, and the fact that he admonished you uh, back in, in chapter number 4, that the, that, uh, the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, right? And we're going to meet the Lord in the air and show us how we ever be with the Lord. In light of all these truths that we just got through, <coughs> the fact that you're not appointed under wrath, he says, now, I beseech you, brethren. So now he says, in light of that truth, this is how we, the church, this is what we should be focusing on in light of that truth. That's our lives. That's why the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ is such an important doctrine. Because if you get the foundation of the rapture and the foundation of the judgment seat of Christ down, then... What that breeds in your life is what he's about to tell them to focus on here. The uh, church at Thessalonica. And he says, <coughs> We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. First thing I want to show you here is, is, is what he says here in verse number 12. He says, know them that labor among you. So these are, some, these are some qualities. These are some things that Paul is beseeching the church to take heed of and to, uh, and to uh, uh, add to their life and exemplify in their life, um, especially as you see the day approaching. Okay, And he says, the first thing he says is to know them which labor among you. Well, that's in your little local church. You should know the folks that you labor amongst. You should be familiar with everybody. Now, I do, I do appreciate, I appreciate the church. I think that we have a pretty close-knit group of folks around here, and it's pretty family-oriented, and, and I don't, I mean, everybody pretty well knows everybody, I hope, and if you, if you don't, then, you know, come introduce yourself or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he that hath friends must show himself friendly. I understand that. But uh, it, goes different, it goes a little deeper than just knowing the people that go to church with you, which is a great thing. You should do that. You should get along, so on and so forth. But he says, know them that labor among you, and it says, and are over you in the Lord. Now, that's a hard one there because, again, uh, that, that goes against our flesh. We don't like anybody to be over us. We like to be... We like to be the one that controls our destiny. We like to be the one that is, you know, we make the final decisions. You know, we're, you know, I, nobody's over me. You know, I, I'll answer to God. I don't need to answer to no man. You know, that kind of stuff. But the Bible tells you, and again, alludes to, and, we, and, it's, and it's been brought up several times in preaching in the last month as far as the authority that God sets up uh, in the local church. 
And he says that you should know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, that word admonish, if you, if you look up the definition, you know what that word admonish means? It means to warn or reprimand someone firmly. You see that? So who should, who should you reverence? Who should you, who should you respect? And, and as the next verse says, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. The folks that stick their finger in your face and say, hey, you don't need to be doing that. And you need to be careful about that. And you need to watch what you're thinking about. And you need to watch what you're doing. And you need to do, pay attention here. And you need to get right here. And you need to, and you need to, and you need to. Man, you always put me, always, always put me down, always saying negative stuff, always doing this. You know what the Bible says? You should esteem those people very highly. If that person isn't just blowing smoke and they're and they're admonishing you, which how many people in here, when you look at the word admonish, you think you think that's somebody coming up to you and saying nice things to you and just kind of fluffing you up, right? Well, that's not what the word means. It means somebody that will warn you and will and re, uh, rebuke or, or uh, reprimand firmly. And, not, and, not, and care, care more about the truth, not to say that they don't care about your feelings at all, but cares more about the truth and you doing right than whether or not it hurts your feelings. The Bible says those people, especially in the light of the fact that the Lord's coming back and you don't know when it's going to happen, in the light of that, you should admonish or you should uh, esteem those people very highly in love. And it says for their work's sake. You want to know why? Because those that do it in the right spirit and uh, and with the right doctrine, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's work. It's work. It's, it's like, do I, do, I really have to, do I really have to go there? Do I really need to say something? Do I really? Yeah. Why? It's your calling. It's the position God puts you in. I can't imagine. I can't, I, honestly, I can't imagine uh, some of the stuff that a pastor has to deal with. This, uh, it's, it's no way to, there's no way to even put it into words. Unless you've been a pastor, you would never know. I've never been a pastor, so I don't know. i got a lot of friends who are pastors, talk about stuff. And you know what? They don't like to deal, they don't like to deal with some of the stuff that they have to deal with. But you know what they have to do? They have to do it because that's what God's called them to do. It's just like it's just like raising a kid, right? And uh, you ever get you ever deal with somebody? You know, this is what happens with parents. And you say you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, just listen, and uh, then you can tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. What happens is the kid starts to go wayward, right? And as the kid starts to go wayward, the parent is like, "Well, if I if I push too hard, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna push them out, right?" And so what ends up happening is is here's a kid living in your house, eating your food. Sucking your air, <laughs> you know, living off of your dime, right? And, and because of fear of how they would react if you were to uh, require them to live up to the rules that you've set forth in your house, you just allow them to live however they want and they go further away. You see? And so the kid has the parent over a barrel. And because the parent is afraid to deal with the issue, because of, they are afraid of what the reaction of their child is going to be, they retreat and they don't admonish. They rather ignore and they allow because we need to be gentle. I'm not telling you to rip their heads off, right? That word admonish is pretty pretty important it's firm it's not it's not like it's not like tear their face off it's a warning and it is a reprimand and it's done firmly that's the right amount of pressure 
You know what? Uh, it's funny. When kids are disciplined, when kids are disciplined, at least it's been my experience, when I discipline my kids, it makes our bond closer. Because, you know, I, I, I think that there's a point where they realize that you don't really enjoy doing it. <laughs> right? And then later on in life, hopefully, they'll appreciate the stand that you took with them because then they'll end up having kids someday and then they'll look back and say, man, I, I can't, I've made that phone call to my mom. Mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was such an idiot. I put you through the, <laughs> I can't believe it. And I appreciate you did the best with what you had and I didn't make it easy on you. And I just want to let you know, I'm very thankful that you did what you did and you raised me the way you did. That's the hope, right? But I think kids, you know, they need to, they need to have the admonishment and then uh, they learn to esteem those very highly. It may not happen in the immediate, right? Because nobody likes to be admonished. <laughs> but it's something that needs to be done. And he's telling you here that those people that admonish you, you need to esteem them very highly for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. So he's saying, okay, well, when you get admonished, right, <coughs> you're, not, you're not going out and causing all kind of havoc. And you ever have somebody get admonished or you ever have, some, you ever have somebody, you know, correct you or something like that. And then your knee-jerk reaction is to go, you know, 80 miles an hour the other way. And then you just like leave a wrecking ball in your wake. <laughs> No, you take your admonishment, you take your correction, and you just, like, relax. And you go, okay, nose to the grindstone, let's keep going. I really appreciate the fact that this person, you know, they're not just giving me their opinion. They're not just, they're not just uh, you know, giving me some kind of psychology or, you know, uh, some kind of fluff answer. They're giving me Bible, and the Lord bears witness to it, with the Spirit with my spirit. And you know what? Uh, that is so important for me, especially in the last days. As I see the day approaching, you know what the Bible tells us to do is, is, uh, is to uh, esteem those people very highly. That would admonish us. Now we exhort you, brethren, verse 14, warn them that are unruly. Again, that's, that's the fact that if you can handle being admonished, the Bible tells you to warn people too. Because after all, if you're not willing to be warned or rebuked or reprimanded, why are you warning, rebuking, reprimanding anybody else? If you can't take one, why are you going to give it? Okay? Okay, we exhort you, brethren... Uh, warn them that are unruly. Here's one. Comfort the feeble-minded. Now that word feeble-minded is, is somebody who has lost some cognitive function. Uh, my mom, growing up, she worked for United Cerebral Palsy. And uh, we dealt with handicapped people all growing up. Uh, she worked in a, in a home that had uh, all the handicapped people there. Uh, all different forms of uh, mental retardation and that kind of thing. Those are, those are feeble-minded people. And, and it's funny because almost every church that I've been to, you know what the Lord does? He sticks some people like that in your church. And, and I, I, think the, I think the Lord watches how the church deals with those people. And how you treat those people, I think, dictates sometimes the blessings of God on your church. You've all heard Dr. Peacock talk about Herbie. Well, I wonder how God could trust uh, his dad with a big old church and all these people and all these influences and all this different stuff. Maybe what if, I wonder if I had anything to do with how he dealt with Herbie. Right? We have opportunities to minister to feeble-minded folks. You can get frustrated with them. They, they, they're baby-like. They, they, they don't understand like you do. You get frustrated with them. You get mad at them. And, and they don't know their own strength. And they cause all kinds of problems. And, and the Bible says you need to comfort them. Because they need help. Okay, he says, support the weak. Support the weak. Go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, support the weak. These are things that we should be doing. Support the weak. Again, he says, know them that labor among you. That's a reference to a local assembly. You couldn't have something apply to you and I more than what we're reading right now. Okay, 
Romans chapter number 15. I should probably get there myself. Verse number 1. When then, uh, we then that are uh, strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good uh, to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. The problems that were, that were my problems, the Lord took my problems and put them on himself. And so the Bible tells us, hey, if you're strong, you ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Isn't that, isn't that, uh, isn't that a little bit different than what, you know, the, the, the common thought is? <clears throat> and that is, you know, fend for yourself and, hey, I can't burden myself with your problems and all that kind of stuff. You know what? Yes, there is a certain, there is a certain, uh, there is a certain thing out there where you need to make sure that you're strong enough or else you can't help anybody else. But that's why he says here, he says, he says, uh, ye that are strong, right, bear the infirmities of the weak. So the first thing you need to do is get strong. Don't always be the person that needs the help. You see that? Don't always be the person that needs the handout. Don't always be the person that needs, sometimes you're going to be that person and you're going to have to humble yourself and receive help, Right? Sometimes you're not going to be strong. Sometimes you're going to be the one that's weak. But you shouldn't always be the one that's weak. So he says, you that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And we're, we should bear one another's burdens. You know, you should, you should have a, a heart that's tender towards people that are going through hard times. You should be looking for opportunities to minister to folks. Realize that not everybody has it as good as you. And there's always somebody that has it worse off than you. You know, I'll be honest with you, there's been times in my life where I was the one that was always hoping there was a check in the mail. You understand what I'm saying? I know what it's like to be the guy that's hoping that somebody sees in how dire straits that I'm in, and hopefully somebody would, you know, have some generosity on me. I don't, I don't always want to be that guy. You know what I'm saying? I don't always want to be that guy. <clears throat> I don't always want to be a taker. I want to be able to be a giver someday. Now, some of you in here, you're able to give. And it's not just your money. I, again, we always have to preface that. We always have to qualify that. It's not always your money, right? But it can be. And you shouldn't always be the one that's, uh, you shouldn't always be the one that's taken. You should be able to give. Sometimes you'll be able to take. Sometimes you're in a point of strength. Sometimes you're in a point of weakness. That's why we minister one to another. Okay, so you that are, uh, that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. These are things that we should be doing. Uh, be patient toward all men. <clears throat> How about that one? That one's rough. Be patient toward all men. Ephesians chapter number 4. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation where, uh, wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering, look at this word, forbearing one another in love. You need to forbear. Be patient with one another in love. Why? So that you can endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit of, uh, in, the, in the bond of peace. You know what? You're, you should endeavor to be at peace with one another and to be at peace with people that don't know better or they just haven't gotten it yet and they may never get it. And you know what the Lord tells you to be? Patient with them. Well, man, the Lord taught me his thinking lesson this last week. It was such a blessing. I told Pastor about it. And, you know, there's some folks, they're just, ne there's some folks you're going to try to have to minister to, they may never get what you got. They may never see things like you see them. They may never take ownership of things that you take ownership in around the church or, or for whatever reason. 
You know, there, there'll be some people, listen, there's going to be some people that when they walk by a piece of trash on the floor, they say, this is my church, and I don't want my church to be a slob, and, you know, and they pick up that piece of trash, and they throw it in the garbage. And there's going to be those people that walk by that piece of trash 400 times back and forth to the bathroom, and they think nothing of it. They're just thinking, well, I hope somebody picks up that trash. Right? That's how they think. Right? And they just say, well, I wonder when the, you know, the, 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 the staff is going to realize that there's something here. Right? And you know what you can do? You can get frustrated with those people, and you can be short with those people, and you can treat those people bad, and you can, you know, you can talk bad about those people. But you know what the truth is? If you get short with them, and you get mad at them, and you, and you take their head off, and you're not patient with them, you know what? Maybe they leave church. And then the hope of them ever getting it is gone because now they're not sitting in church listening to preaching. And the only reason that you would rebuke somebody or get frustrated with somebody or get mad at somebody uh, is to make you feel better. Right? Because if somebody doesn't see it, you rebuking them for it is not going to change them. It's not going to change them. Because they have to change from the heart. They're not going to change from your rebuke. So, you know what you are? You're patient with them. And your expectations, they go down. Because you can't have the same expectations for everybody. That's a hard one. You know? I had a guy tell me one time, I was all frustrated with some people. This was years ago. And, uh, you know, you look at Christians and, you, and they've been saved for years. And, and you go, why haven't they gotten it yet? They've been saved for that long. How come they're still doing this stuff? How come they're still thinking that way? How come they're still talking that way? Why are they still doing that stuff? They've been saved longer than I have. You know, you get that kind of attitude. I had a preacher come to me one time. He looked at me. He says, you know what your problem is? I was like, enlighten me. <coughs> he says, he says you, you expect everybody to grow at the same rate you did. And he says, not everybody grows the same rate. Not everybody's going to be a preacher. Not everybody's going to, not everybody's going to, uh, you know, not everybody, it's just like, just like when you're planting a garden, you know? Not every plant's the same size. It doesn't bear the same size fruit. It, nothing's the same. So if you come in and all you know is you, because you're so focused on you and what you did and how God dealt with you and you and you, you project that on everybody else and you're just frustrated with everybody else because they're not like you. And the Bible says, hey, listen, just be patient with all men. Just be patient with them. Because people don't get stuff quickly. Right? Verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Hey, listen, revenge is for the Lord to take care of, not us. I don't worry about getting back on anybody. Will you treat me this way? I'm going to make sure that I treat you this way. That's childish stuff. He says, he says, see that none render evil for evil. He says, if you see it in yourself, squash it. If you see it in somebody else, squash it. You know what you find out the more you read about the New Testament church and what the Lord expects us to act like? You know what? We should, we should govern ourselves. We should be watching out for one another, not in a stick-up-nose, holier-than-thou type of way, but in, but in encouraging, uh, admonishing type way where, where we're, we're, we're governing ourselves and, and we know what we're prone to do, but we're catching ourselves when we see ourselves slipping. And it's not because, you know, we're, we're looking down at anybody. It's because, you know what, hey, guys, I, I slipped there too, man. Let's be careful, right? I know that that guy did you wrong, but just, just let it go, man. Just let it go. Don't get bitter about it. Just relax. Lord, take care of that stuff. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But look at this. He says, but uh, uh, for, uh, it says, but ever follow that which is good. Always do right. Always do good. Right? Both among yourselves, the church, and to all men. That tells you how you should act to lost people. You should, you should do the same thing with them. Verse 16, here's a good one. Rejoice evermore. 
Why? Because you got everything in the world to rejoice about. Rejoice evermore. Comfort one another with these words. What? I'm going to be out of here pretty soon. I got a home in heaven. He told me that whether I wake or I sleep, in uh, verse 10, I should live together with the Lord. Doesn't matter. I'm, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I understand my doctrinal seating, my standing in my state with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, Paul says, whatever state I am, uh, I've learned to be content. And I can rejoice. Sitting in a prison cell, I can sing and rejoice. Why? Because God's been so good to me. Right? He says, rejoice evermore. What is that? That's what the church is supposed to be doing while they're waiting for the rapture. We're not looking at the news and we're not looking at the, the catastrophe of the day. And, you know, we don't care about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's divorce. Amen. Some of you, some of you have been watching that thing, I'm sure, just like, just like uh, obsessing over that thing. I can't imagine. But um, I will be honest, it is, it is a little bit funny. It is a little funny that uh, you got three, yeah, like seventy something thousand people watching a defamation trial of two absolutely insane people. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Rejoice evermore. Here's one: pray without ceasing. Get to the place where your communication with the Lord is so is so clo- is so close and is so tight. That it's not that I'm spending hours, uh, it's not that I'm spending 24 hours a day on my knees, but that every facet of my life, I'm in constant communication with the Lord Jesus Christ. As I'm driving down the road, as I'm walking through the halls of work, as I'm sitting at my desk doing my job, as you're, whatever it is, everything's a prayer. I'm just talking to the Lord, right? Having conversations. You ever have a conversation with somebody and, and, and you're praying through the conversation? Lord, I don't know what in the world to say. Lord, give me some wisdom. I don't know what in the world. You get the Nehemiah prayers, you know, you're in a conversation and you say, oh, help, Lord. <laughs> and you're just talking back and forth with them. Driving down the road and, you know, you see the brake lights come on and you have to swerve around. He said, man, Lord, thanks for letting me see that. I appreciate it. Had somebody the other day, no turn signal, stinking moron, pulling into a Dunkin' Donuts off of 48, just like decided to automate, just decided on a split, I need Dunkin'. And they just whip it in, you know, and slam on the brakes. And uh, I switched over into the left lane and I just say, praise the Lord, thank you, God, that there wasn't a car there when I swiped over. Right? Pray for my kids, pray for my wife, Lord, help me. Get up. Lord, thanks for letting me get up this morning, you know, so on and so forth. Just pray without ceasing. <clears throat> pray without, just talk to the Lord about everything. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Be thankful. Say, what, is it, what should the church be doing while it's waiting for the rapture? Just be thankful. What's the will of God for my life? To identify the Lord's goodness in your life and thank Him for it. See His hand. Look for His hand. So you can give Him credit for it. You can give Him thanks for it. Okay? In everything. In everything. Whether it's bad or good. In everything. Give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I've probably told this story before. Right before Dr. Rubin released his Bible, uh, he, had, he had volumes of different books of the Bible with all his notes in it. And they were putting pressure on him to get, get the Bible out. And uh, he had it in the back of his Azuzu one day, and one of his dogs got a hold of his Matthew you know, section of the Bible and started tearing it up, man. And he came to class one night. He was awful hot about it, you know. There's this, there's this older guy in the class, and... You know, Dr. Rutman's kind of venting a little bit, and he's telling us the story, you know, and he's like, I'm trying to get this Bible done, man, and the dog ripped up my Matthew thing, and all my notes are scattered all over the yard, you know, and, all. and this idiot raises his hand. Dr. Rutman? He's like, yeah, brother, what do you want? It's like, it's like you know, he's messing up his flow, you know, and he's like, uh, did you thank God for that? And I'm waiting for a lightning bolt to just, I'm like, get away from that guy, you know. You know what that guy did? Dr. Ruckman. He says, you know what, brother, you're right. And he said, let's pray. And that whole class bowed their heads. He said, Lord, I know you probably did this for a reason. I just want to appreciate it. Lord, I thank you. You've been so good to me. I pray you help us get this Bible out. And I do thank you for the adversity that uh, 
He says, all right, guys, let's start class. Can you imagine that? If there was ever a guy that could just tear a dude's head off, <laughs> right? You know what he did? He says, you're right. I need to thank him for everything. That's a good, I want to be a good example. I want to be thankful even when bad stuff happens. Quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. Pastor, he's preached uh, here recently the difference between quenching and grieving. Of course, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the, day of, unto the day of redemption. That being the grieving taking place inside of you. Quenching is a hindrance of the Holy Spirit in an assembly. Again, the context of what you're reading is to the local church. And so we need to be careful about quenching the spirit in the assembly. We can do that when we make it about us and not about Jesus Christ. We can do that when we make it about somebody else and, 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 try, to, and try to pin things on other people and, and we bring a bad spirit and all that kind of stuff. We can quench the spirit in the assembly if we're not careful. And so we need to be careful of some things. Despise not prophesying. Revelation chapter number 19 verse 10 tells you that... that um, that the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Take your Bibles real quick. I want to just get these last couple things. We only got like two verses left, and then we'll close it up for prayer. Um, uh, go to 2 Peter chapter number 1. Give you a few cross-references. You can put them in your Bible later or something. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Verse 19, For we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto the light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know what you need to make sure, especially in these last days, that you don't despise prophesyings. You don't despise when, when men speak through the, uh, <clears throat> the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You need to take heed to those things. In the world in which you live in today, you're so connected to stuff, and things are so much marketed to you all the time, that sometimes preaching can hit a chord that you don't appreciate, or it gets on something that maybe you enjoy, and it's like, you know, you start to despise those things. You ever get to a place in your life where you become so spiritually stagnant where you start despising preaching? You ever wonder why the church uh, uh, is more entertained by music than it is preaching nowadays? Because they don't like preaching. Sing us some more songs. Right? Make us feel good. We like to shout. We, wanna, we want the song services to be riled up, right? <clears throat> We don't want the preaching to be that way. You know, what the, you know what Paul knew about the last days and right before the rapture? He says, hey, don't worry about signs of the times and looking for the Antichrist and looking at all the world events. You don't even need me to write to you about that. You know what you need me to write to you about? To make sure that you don't despise prophesying. That's what you need. Don't despise somebody getting up and preaching a hard message. Don't get, up, don't, don't, don't get your nose out of joint and start despising preaching. Okay? God uses preachers. And you know what they do? They prophesy stuff. They say, hey, man, if you keep going down the road, this is what's going to happen. No, not me, you know. I'll do what I want when I want, and I'm my own man, and I can do this, that, and the other. Okay, keep going. You say, what are you doing? You're despising prophesying. You're not the exception to the rule. You say, well, oh, if I do that, is God going to kill me? No, He may not. You know what He may do? He may let you prosper. And then you'll get to the judgment seat of Christ and realize you wasted your whole life. And you, and you know what? The preacher will still be right. <laughs> and he'll bring up the sermons. And he'll say, hey, remember when you heard this? Yeah, you pushed that out. You didn't want to listen to it. You didn't want to have nothing to do with it. Be careful, don't despise prophesyings. Okay? Abstain, or excuse me, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Now, this thing is a, a reference. Uh, go to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 
2 Timothy chapter number 1. Verse 13. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Look at that. He says, hold fast the form of sound words. That, that thing right there uh, shows you that when, when people start going to other Bibles and, and different forms of the, of the Word of God, you know what spirit they're of. He tells you, you need to hold fast the form of sound words. It matters. The words matter. The individual words matter like we talked about a little bit in the beginning of this thing. So he says, prove all things. Prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. In every, uh, in, um, uh, in every other Bible, they, they want to take out that word appearance. So it just says abstain from all evil. Well, the problem is, is if you take out the appearance then now you're allowing the Christian to do something that looks bad as long as it's not really bad. You see that? And that directly contradicts Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 16. Romans 4, let, let not your good be evil spoken of. That's what it says. Romans chapter 14, verse 16. Let not your good be evil spoken of. So the proper rendering of the verse is abstain from all appearance of evil. Dr. Upman always said, don't bend over to tie your shoe in a neighbor's watermelon patch. Why? Because it looks bad. <laughs> right? That's why you don't drink, uh, you know, you don't drink root beer out of a brown paper bag. Right? Um, we had a uh, customer one time up on Dixie Highway. He's an old adult you know, pornographic store, and uh, we had to do their landscaping out there. And I got in all kinds of trouble because they said, well, you need, they haven't signed their stuff. I, I just emailed the owners, you know, somewhere. I'd, I'd never stepped foot in there, never uh, have my truck uh, pull up in front of there because people knew I had a company car. And I, the last thing I'm going to do is let somebody see my company car sitting out in front of the stupid store on Dixie Highway. And so they say, well, they're not signing their paperwork. You need to go there and, and get them to sign their paperwork. I said, I ain't going there. Well, you need to, you're the accounts manager. You need to go. I said, you can go there. I ain't going there. Well, you're not, you're not, you know, have them, have them meet you outside or something. I said, I'm not parking anywhere near that place. <clears throat> Why? It, just the appearance of it. I ain't going to be out there. I'm not going to have my car parked out in front of there. No way. You know, abstain from all appearance of evil because guess what? Appearances matter. And people's perceptions is their truth. You understand that? How somebody perceives something is that that's their version of the truth is how they perceive it. And so you have to work some different angles. That's why the Bible tells you to walk circumspectly, right? <clears throat> and, be, and be cognizant not to uh, be a stumbling block to a, a younger Christian. Okay? And so he says, um, abstain from all appearance of evil. Uh, it says, the very God of peace to sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, showing you what he's talking about under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He shows you the triune, uh, the triune being that you have inside of you, your spirit, your soul, and your body. And he wants those things to be sanctified, set apart for the Lord. Um, that's, your, that's your spirit. Your soul is sanctified and set apart with salvation. Your spirit should be sanctified and set apart. Your, your emotions and, your, and uh, the things about your character that aren't seen. And then your body should be sanctified and set apart. It's the stuff that we don't, it's the stuff that we don't like. We like our salvation, but I don't want you to mess with what I, what I do with my body and how I'm thinking and, and my emotions and my anger and my malice and all those kinds of things. He says, let all those things be sanctified unto the Lord. And how do you do that? He says, hey, you know, we're, we're a society that likes lists, right? 
And I know Christianity, you can't do it on a list. I know that. But I just think it's just probably applicable, you know. And again, I just I like the verse by verse thing tonight. Hopefully, you know, give you something, a couple things to think about, a couple cross references, if you will. But uh, he says, "Man, we're looking for the rapture, and we're right on the precipice." I believe it. I I do. And he says, "The church." He says, "Know them that labor among you." He's talking to the local church, and he says, "We should be focusing on these things right here." You know what every one of us should do? And I know when I read through this, uh, I do the same thing as, man, Lord, <laughs> do I despise prophesying? Lord, am I, am I rejoicing evermore? Do I pray without ceasing? Lord, am I, am I, do I support the weak? Am I patient with all men? <laughs> These are things that we can look at and say, I'm going get to myself, get myself back up to snuff, Lord. I've got to get ready. How do I get ready for the Lord to return? That right there. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. It's right in front of us. It's real plain as day, right? But uh, to do that which I know, <laughs> that's, the, that's the hard part. <laughs> so, Lord, pray for us. Amen. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for tonight. Pray you to bless the, uh, the, the, the teaching tonight. Pray, Lord, that we get something out of it. And I pray you to bless this uh, time of prayer in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. All right.